Well, hello again, everybody out there in uh, in internet land. This is the Phantom Correspondent. Uh, we're doing uh, Horror Month. We're doing uh, a big, uh, big kind of. Uh, if you've been if you've been listening to us so far, you know we're we're doing a lot with uh, this this whole Halloween thing that apparently people care about. I don't know. Al, I know you're uh, uh, you're with me right here, Red Lanyard. I know you're kind of a Halloween guy. This is this is uh, kind of your thing. And uh, you know we're I, I, we're doing these podcasts uh, to discuss um, you know horror movies, Halloween movies, Halloween stuff, and we have somehow made it through two podcasts, and we're now doing our first actual slasher movie. That's kind of amazing, isn't it? It's, it's incredible. I mean, it really just goes to show just like how much variety uh, there is in the genre. Um, I mean, yeah, you can talk about all kinds of things but one that's that probably has the most um uh, the most horror tropes and stereotypes and probably the most schlock out of all the the categories and subcategories of horror um um, or slashers but um they also have some of the most um rich history and most um um significance in pop culture as well so so i'm i'm very excited for today so yeah, we're, we're gonna yeah uh, we're gonna talk about Friday Thirteenth. We're gonna get into the original Friday the Thirteenth, the first one, uh, the you know nineteen nineteen eighty I think is that right? Yep, nineteen eighty. Nineteen eighty. Uh, the original Friday the Thirteenth. We're gonna talk about that. We're gonna talk about a lot of things like uh, you know uh, misogyny and uh, fetishism and uh, Kevin Bacon. Uh, Kevin so we got Bacon. some stuff to talk about there. Uh, but before I get into that, before we get into all that. Okay, um, let's talk. You, know, uh, you, you, you gave me a little bit, but the Stalker franchise, I would say, probably has been the dominant horror movie genre. I mean, like subgenre of my lifetime. You know, uh, you know, would you agree with that? Um, yeah, yeah, I'd probably agree with it. Um, when it comes to horror. Or you can usually go through the last, um, um, I was going to say a few decades, but honestly, you could go back as far as the last century of history at this point um, and kind of see various um, subjects or subgenres, if you will, um, of horror kind of rise and fall. Um, And like uh, the slasher films were were really big and really, really dominant for a, a very long time. Um, there towards the beginning of, of the 2000s and into the um, 2010s, they kind of fell off a bit and kind of um, yielded to more uh, supernatural type of horror. But um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> slashers have, have been huge. Um, ask almost anybody on the street and they can probably rattle off the names of of, you know, the big um, antagonist of the genre. Well, yeah, yeah, when I was, you know, um, so in Owensboro, Kentucky, where where I'm currently located, we used to have this place called uh, Waxworks. Uh, I don't know, Al, if you, I don't know if you even know what I'm talking about with Waxworks. It was uh, over there by uh, where Kroger is on Frederica. It was a big building, and, uh, it was called Waxworks generally because they had a um, 
they would have a, uh, a plethora of records. You know, they were a music store. But they also did movies and, uh, uh, and sometimes video games, stuff like that. They got into all of the pop culture entertainment, essentially, for a while. And they've gone out of business. They sold out to FYE a long time ago. That's neither here nor there. I'll tell you that, tell you this. Every Halloween when you went in Waxworks, they had posters. And the posters were in this order, okay? Jason, Freddy Krueger, and Chucky. And I remember, like, when, when, when we'd go in there, uh, my mother, you know, would be like, because, like, because, I mean, they were, you know, this was, like, when I was, like, four or five years old. So, you know, Jason, Freddy Krueger, and Chucky were both scary, but also, like, almost enticing as well, because they were such, they had crossed over from just being horror figures into pop culture icons, which you kind of mentioned a while ago. So they were kind of this thing where, you know, they were almost untouchable, you know, as a kid, but they're also a thing that, like, all of us knew about. You know, and like all of us knew is like the the collective boogeymen that were under the bed, um, you know. And so like, you know, you're a little younger than me, but, you know, what have the, you know, how have the, you know, as a horror, as a horror fan and a horror expert, you know, how have you seen the pop culture icons of the, the, the pop culture icons of the slasher uh, for lack of a better term, these slasher heroes have become. How have you seen that influence horror movies? Um, yeah, so, yeah, I mean, those are the guys. Those are probably, especially if you aren't, like, super extremely in a horror, um, like um, a lot of us are, like I am, <laughs> Um um, if you aren't super into the genre, if you aren't super into the history, I mean, um, these guys, these antagonists or heroes of of um, slasher films are really the ones that, that stick out. They're the ones that seem to catch on uh, with audiences, whether you've seen every single installment of their franchise or whether you haven't. Um, and, you know, th- th- the impressions they've left... Um, have included me as well. I wouldn't say that slasher films are my favorite category of horror, but, um, you know, this goes back into, um, the nineties when, um, the very first horror film I ever watched, um, was child's play, which was being aired on TV. I watched it with my mom and I was like four or five years old. And, um, and it was one of those things where, um, kind of like how you said, I was really young and I didn't really understand these ideas of, of horror and, and uh, slasher themes and stereotypes and things like that. But there was something to Child's Play. There was something to the Ch- Chucky doll um, that uh, kind of had an allure to me where when I was extremely young, I was fresh out of my toddler years. I came up to my mom and I was just like, mom, I want to, I want to see this on the TV. I want to s- sit here and watch this with you. And my mom, who's also a huge horror fan as well, like I am, she was just like, well, yeah, okay, let's <laughs> sit here and watch it. And so, so I sat there and watched it with her. Um, the slashers of the 80s specifically um, really kind of depict 
um, the horror equivalent of catching lightning in a bottle, if that makes sense. Um, horror has evolved since then, and horror has moved on to different kinds of dominant themes and subgenres and categories and things like that. But um, I'm not, I'd be hard pressed to choose a part of horror that so clearly exceeded uh, the confines of the genre as much as the slashers of the 80s did. I mean, um, the thing that's probably come closest, and even that, like, really isn't even close in comparison, is um, all the hubbub about, um, um, about, like, the Conjuring films and the universe of the Conjuring movies and all of that. Um, but even in comparison, I mean, the slashers were just larger than than the films itself, to be completely honest. Um, it's crazy to think that these characters are so huge and have such a big history and pop cultural significance to them. When, like, it's... I mean, anybody who's seen the first Friday the 13th or any of the consecutive, like, five... Friday the 13th can can very clearly see it wasn't as if these were being made on like huge Hollywood budgets um it wasn't as if like these were like the darling of of Hollywood or anything like that um but still you have these these characters who who everybody knows and uh from the 80s you can start to kind of track with the rise of the slasher you can start to track the developments of horror that kind of followed after it um, you see a rise um, in trying to go over the top with um, the violence um, in horror. Um, you see um, horror antagonists or deaths on screen try to be increasingly edgier or, in some cases, increasingly more hilarious um, or however um, it might be uh, because of what we've seen the likes of Jason, Jason and Freddie and Chucky and all of them have done um, in the 80s. Uh, there's also something that, while it didn't immediately follow f- from the slasher genre um, of that t- t- decade, you've seen it crop up a bit more, where it really established this effort to build up the world surrounding the film or the characters in the film. Um um, and Jason in Friday the 13th is a perfect example of that. Um, you have a character who um, who shows up. He doesn't even show up in the first part of the franchise, which I'm sure we'll head to here in a bit. But um, you have this character that really, a few films into his series, really started to get a world of his own built up. And like almost like um, a modern mythology kind of uh, was created around these characters um, to the extent that you really didn't see that with a lot of other horror films. Um, I think that started to take hold um, a bit more recently. Um, um, again, when supernatural horror started to rise up in the 2000s and 2010s, um, you start to see that a bit more um, equals to supernatural horror films like, um, the Grudge and The Ring were coming up. There was a lot more lore to work with because those were based on books and things like that. Um, 
And then again, you have like the Conjuring franchise kind of creating its own cinematic universe of horror films, even though uh, you might have like two films in there that are any good. <laughs> it seems to be something people are into. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, you can definitely tell some of these things that they really started with slashers and kind of lead to the development of the genre into how we understand it today. Um, you know, four decades after the fact. Yeah, I, I can, yeah, I can definitely, I can definitely see, see all that. The, um, you know, particularly with, uh, you know, with, with Jason, uh, which yeah, you're right. We'll have to discuss cause we've, we've picked a Friday 13 film, but it's not really a Friday 13 film now, is it? Because, you know, Jason's kind of a, he's, he's, uh, he's kind of the ghost of this film, so to speak. Uh, you know, he kind of, he kind of hovers over everything, but he's, you know, he's only really in it in what is maybe a dream sequence. Who knows? Uh, but, um, you know, this, this movie here, you know, it, it, I would say, you know, I mean, you know, Psycho typically gets the, gets the credit for being the first slasher film. I don't know if that's true or not. You know, I mean, Hitchcock seems to be the genesis for a lot of things, but I don't know if that's correct. But it does seem to be like the first big one. Uh, but this one is kind of the the one that seems to um, be the memorable in this series, along, I would say, with Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, is kind of the memorable slasher series of the 80s. Uh, and they made a lot of money off of, you've already uh, hinted at it, off of very, very low budgets with these movies. Um, one of the things that, that kind of struck me uh, when watching this movie, actually, because the movie itself is, it has, a, has a level of controversy to it um, because it, is, <laughs> it was famously savaged by critic Gene Siskel. Uh, Gene Siskel, in fact, said Sean Cunningham, who is the director, uh, was the one of the most vile beings of Hollywood. That's an exact quote. Uh, you should actually look this up because it's actually really hilarious. If you're listening to this, because Gene Siskel hated this movie so much, it's not even funny. Uh, but one of the things that his his issue with it, uh, one of his main issues with it, uh, was that he thought it pushed the gore and, in particular the um the 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 gore towards or the the violence towards women uh into a bad direction now here's what's funny about this though so like i'm I'm reading i'm doing all this research of it okay you know and like and i haven't when i watched it i probably hadn't seen friday 13th and probably man four five six years like it's one of those things where like you know you go you end up at a you know, at a Halloween get together, somebody, somebody's got Jason on, you know, but like, you're not really watching it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so I hadn't really like sat down and like studied this film and maybe it's just cause I'm desensitized, but like this film in 1980 supposedly pushed, you know, the, the R rating, you know, the gore limit. And I mean, I honestly kind of found it kind of chaste in a lot of ways. I mean, like other, like, you know, the, the, the you know the 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 kills themselves in this movie seem to happen really quickly you you get the point and then they move on you know like you'll see you know you know the axe in the girl's head and then you'll move on you know 
Uh, I'm still not totally sure what killed Brenda. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, and I'm, 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 I mean, like, well, I was, Jake was watching it with me, and I'm like, you know, this whole point, like, you know, you know, she, you know, Alice never checks on Brenda. Like, I mean, you know, Brenda just has some blood on her face. She could just have a concussion. We don't know, you know. <laughs> like, I'm just saying, like, you know, it's like, it, you know, we, we, we have no clue. But, but it is interesting because there's an evolution, you know, from this film where, like, it seems like the, the violence is there to serve a purpose. And then you kind of, you kind of, you know, serves the purpose of the story. And then, you know, we were kind of talking about the fact that, like, you know, later on, you know, on a, we were messaging each other later on. It's almost like, you know, the story almost serves the violence, you know, later on with these films. Why do you think that trajectory happened? Because, you know, the, you know, the way Annie dies in this film, which is basically just a real quick slash across the neck, you see a little bit of blood, is way different than Jason picking up a sleeping bag you know, and slamming into a tree, you know, you know, five or six times. So like, why, why do you, you know, how, how, you know, what, I guess the question I'm asking is, you know, how did you, how did that, how do you see that evolution coming about? Was that just something that you think was going to happen with slasher films or was it a, um, is it just something that, that just was so ingrained into the slasher film that that had to be an evolution or do you think that there was like a necessary component to get people to come back and see these to you know create you know more crazy crazy deaths and by the way when i'm saying this i'm not saying this from a judgmental standpoint probably one of my favorite movie moments in in all of movie history is in jason x uh with the uh the cryogenically frozen woman that gets her face smashed into the wall, you know, which is just so ridiculous. That's almost hilarious at this point. So I'm not making a judgment. I'm just wondering how that arc happened, you know, because Friday the 13th is really, you know, it's not totally story focused, but there is a story there. And by the time you get to, you know, Jason takes Manhattan, you know, there's, I mean, you know, may, you might push back on, on this, maybe, but it doesn't seem like there's much story other than just, Jason's got about 10 more people he needs to kill, you know, in this movie. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, so, I, man, I'm going to espouse a couple of very unpopular opinions um, in in the horror community, uh, whatever, and these these ideas I have always come up whenever I talk about or even think about um, um, this film in particular, but also just kind of the history of the Friday the 13th series. Um, so, first of all, there there is a double standard um, a lot of the times when it comes to uh, the horror genre. And I mean, there's a double standard when people compare it to other genres, but there's also um, a double standard that comes into play when you compare um, different films within horror um, to each other. Um, You know, you talk about some of the backlash and controversy that happened um, because of some of the gore in Friday the 13th Part 1. You know... If I'm if I'm being completely honest, I mean, uh, there was 
there were scenes with more gore and suggested violence and sometimes actual on-screen violence six years prior in Texas Chainsaw than there was in any of the scenes of like the first like three films of Friday the 13th have been completely honest. Um, but the, so, but the tech, forgive me, the Texas Chainsaw and also, and I'm only, only bringing this up because you're the horror historian was Texas Chainsaw Massacre as big a hit as Friday the 13th was when it came out. No, it was not. And you, it was more of a grind. Yeah. That's yeah. And that's, that's something to take into consideration for sure. Is that, um, Texas Chainsaw was way more of kind of um, small time kind of cult film um, than Friday the 13th was. Um, now, um, I'm not entirely convinced that um, that kind of explains that discrepancy and controversy about the two films. Because um, it's. It's always been very strange to me that Friday the 13th in particular has gotten the bad end of backlash and controversy historically um, for doing things that at the time that the film came out, it it was not the first film to ever do them. You know what I mean? Um, I agree. I mean, this is like um, nothing like Last House on the Left or Hills Have Eyes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. The um, of the gore, the violence against um, uh, females, um, the idea that um, that you know the depiction uh, of of sexual activity, all of these things were done by other <laughs> movies that came out well before uh, Friday the Thirteenth did. So I've always been kind of flabbergasted that it that this is the one for some reason that always got uh the bad end of the backlash and all of the controversy and things like that uh now uh all that to say and i've got a bit more to say about things related to that um further into the podcast but all that to say um there is this idea that slasher films in particular have been unkind um, to um, to the f- female characters in them. Um, however, when you get into that argument, and I've heard arguments on both sides of it, but when you get into that argument or that idea that slasher films in particular um, perpetrate or, or support through their depiction of violence against women um you also have to kind of balance that claim with the fact that consistently it's the it's the female characters who last throughout the film um you know it usually ends up being the the survivor girl trope of a slasher protagonist who makes it to the end who fights off the killer um and things like that um now with in the case of Friday the 13th, you know, there's a lot of cases where uh, the survivor girl from one film gets killed in the subsequent film. But whenever that conversation comes up of, oh, uh, the director of slasher films um, have this weird um, 
psychosis that perpetuates this idea of violence against uh, their female protagonists, you always have to kind of balance that with the idea, yeah, well, okay, but then why is then why is the trope of a survivor girl a thing? Why is that something that has lasted through the decades of horror? Why is it always a female protagonist who gets out at the end of the film? You know what I mean? So it's always, I don't know, both of those ideas have always been very interesting to me. Because when you talk about them, you always have have to consider the other side of things. Of the fact that a lot of times, especially with Friday the 13th, it's in no way, shape, or form the first film to handle those kinds of scenes or those kinds of ideas. And two, the idea that female protagonists are treated badly or hated in the slasher films is directly contradicted by a lot of the content within the movie itself. So, um, yeah, it's a it's an interesting discussion to say the least. I um, I I, I bet no one listening to this thought they were going to get the feminist reading of Friday the Thirteenth. So I'm 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 pretty excited for where this podcast is going. <laughs> Uh, but the, um, I, I don't, I don't disagree with you. I'm not, I'm not totally in agreement with you. And here's, here's why, here's why. Okay. So Eli Roth does this movie called, uh, Hostel. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the premise of the first Hostel is, uh, you know, three, three idiot guys end up, uh, and they basically end up, uh, accidentally, uh, because they're stupid, um, uh, end up, you know, part of, as part of a pay for like, almost like you, you pay to like kill people in any way you want to kill them. Okay. So that movie comes out and it's a, it's a minor hit. Like it's a, like it's, it's, it's one of those movies that was like, some people like wanted to go see it to just kind of you know, like say they saw it or like, cause it, cause it was so it was, it was kind of this underground like thing where like, it was like taking torture porn to the ultimate level it could be taken. So the second one comes out. So he, he does a second one and I'll never forget the, the tagline for the second one was, uh, you know, in this world, uh, it is so, I can't remember, but he put a dollar amount, but it was like, it was, it was, uh, you know, there was, it was a certain dollar amount for an American male, but in this world for an American girl, it's priceless or whatever. And essentially basically stating, we're going to do the same movie, but this time we're going after girls. And the, the general concept to me at the, I mean, for, just from, you know, and like, I, I don't have really any big feelings about Eli Roth one way or the other. Okay. You know, some people swear by cabin fever, you know, uh, I'm not <laughs> one of those people, but like the general idea of that, of that tagline was basically to announce to you, if you watch this movie and you were upset that we weren't slaughtering women, well, here's the second one. We're going to slaughter women now. Mm. Cause that's essentially what happens in that. in the second one, you know, and there's no way to not have a reading of that that is not at least so, in some ways misogynistic or at least some ways playing into, you know, what I would characterize as almost a fetishistic uh, reading of slasher movies um, where he's just leaning into it. 
Um, I'm oh. not, and, and look, and here's the thing. I'm not, I, I, the Friday 13th movies, I honestly, I'm with you. I, I think they get a lot of crap that they don't deserve. Um, you know, um, I mean, they're, you know, like, like I said, at a certain point, you know, they're, they're literally, they're almost, they're, they're almost so campy. It's funny. I mean, you know, Jason goes to hell is like, I mean, th- 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 there's no way to look at that movie and try to make any type of psychological, you know, <laughs> assessment. There just, just isn't, you know, Jason X is the same way, but there is a, there is a sense, you know, in the, in the slasher genre where, you know, it's, there's a, yeah, I agree. It's always a final girl, you know, but like, you know, you kill about seven or eight girls to get to that final one. And, you know, and there's a sense that, you know, that, that that's an expectation, you know, I mean, I'm thinking like, you know, and, you know, even, even someone like black Christmas, you know, is that way, you know, Sleepaway camp is that way. Um, you know, and then the scream and, you know, the scream series, you know, is based upon pretty much that. Um, so I, so like, I, I'm, I, I'm not, I'm not totally disagreeing with you, but I think there is a, a portion of this, uh, of this genre that's definitely there, you know, um, to, how can I put this to not, not necessarily be misogynistic, but at the same time, there's a portion of it that just by the very osmosis of what you're watching is misogynistic. Because I think the whole reason, the whole reason it's, it's, you know, is, I mean, the whole, the whole reason this, this movie Friday 13th is set up the way it is. And the way the story works is that they're telling you that like, you know, the character, the character that you are supposed to, you know, um, um, you know, uh, relate to, you know, uh, and the one character you don't want to see have bad things happen to, she's the one that's in the most danger at the end and you, you're rooting for her to get away. And that's why the final girl works. It's, you know, best example of that, of course, is Jamie Lee Curtis and Halloween. Um, so, you know, like I'm, I'm not saying, you know, that the, that, you know, these movies exist because, you know, like we all have, you know, underlying needs to see women get slashed to bits. But that does seem to be a an aspect or, or an, an aspect of the genre that um, that does that 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 people lean into. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and for for whatever reason, Friday the 13th gets it more than others. And I really don't know. I'm, I, you know, particularly in this movie, I don't know why, because once again, this movie is, you know, pretty pretty chaste in a lot of ways, you know, I mean, you've got, um, you know, I mean, other than, other than Kevin Bacon, you know, Kevin Bacon and, you know, the other girl are the only, you know, the, the, the joke is always, you know, like don't have sex or you'll die. But like, you know, I mean, does Brenda die for playing strip monopoly? I mean, like, is that a thing? Like, I don't like, I don't know. Like it's, it's, you know, uh, so the, the reading of this movie is some kind of, uh, judgment you know on on sexuality or whatever uh i, I think is kind of it's kind of off Which, but i do want to lead into that real quick and then what we will talk about the movie uh but like you know that th- that is a reading you know um that sean cunningham himself has come out and said that he had no intention whatsoever of you know 
having that be be part of you know his movie Wes Craven has said the same thing or did say the same thing. Uh, but there is this like idea you know the screen plays with where it's like these slasher movies are telling you don't have sex before marriage. You know, do you do you do you think that's a that, that there's some type of you know film theory reading? Do, do you think that's a correct reading of these films? Uh, you know, do you think that was put in there accidentally? Do you think we're just reading way too much into it? How do you how do you read that very well worn horror trope, Al? Right. Um, well, uh, first before we get into that, um, I do want to hack up some um, and talk about a couple of things you suggested earlier, um, because every time. <laughs> Every time I talk about horror and Eli Roth comes up, I can't not talk about Eli Roth. Um, so <laughs> I just can't not. It's an bastard. I will say that. I love many glorious bastards. It's an impossibility. <laughs> I can't not talk about Eli Roth. Um, so um, you say you don't feel either way about Eli Roth a lot as, as a director um, and as an artist. Um, uh, as a director, I don't care for Eli Roth at all. Um, I don't enjoy any of his horror films. Um, um, uh, uh, have you ever seen his film um, uh, Inferno or uh, the? Oh yeah, the, the Inferno. Green Inferno. Yeah. So um, so um, I always use that as an example um, whenever I talk about Eli Roth and how I and how he's just a man I don't understand um, as a horror creator. Um, uh, because what I've what I've seen about uh, the Green Inferno and what I've seen about him talking about it and just from watching the movie is that it's kind of it's kind of a tribute film um, to Hannibal Holocaust. Um, it's basically if Hannibal Holocaust were made um, in 2010, yeah. 2000, and then whenever that was made. Peter um, I'm sorry. It, it, it's Cannibal Holocaust with Peter regulations is what it is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and so um, to me, that says a lot about Eli Roth that I could not say in 100 years because why you would want to make a tribute film to Cannibal Holocaust <laughs> had depicted the actual killing of animals, I will never know. I won't, I won't ever understand. And that's the kind of director Eli Roth is. When I watch Eli Roth movies, his his creativity and the direction he takes his films as a horror fan, I will not ever understand what Eli Roth is trying to say at any given point in time. Let me redirect you real quick because here's the thing. Okay. Like I agree. I've never seen cannibal Holocaust. I don't want to see cannibal Holocaust. I did see green Inferno thought it was really, really bad. Uh, but, but here's, but the, but what you brought up though, is kind of a is it is kind of inherent in the question of this genre in my opinion which by the way I realize we're getting way off base here but it's kind of inherent within this genre because there is always this need with it seems within this genre to push as far as you can and then decide to call it art so you feel about Eli Roth the way I feel about Rob Zombie Rob Zombie swears up and down the devil's reject is a is a piece of art okay and it is just 100% not, you know? And the thing is, is like, 
but but there's people within it who will say that like you know that like well what he's doing is, is you know you know taking all of these horrific you know images and horrific people and using them to portray a you know a uh, a, a point of view, you know, that, that is important to him. Eli Roth would say the same thing, you know, why, why do you think that that, I mean, you know, that, that type of person, you know, and, and that type of, of, of creator, you know, is inherent to this genre. Um, you know, it, it, it's almost like if, if, if you're, if you're going to, to push against that, you know, and, and, I'm really kind of playing devil's advocate here, forgive me. But if you're going to push against that, aren't you just pushing against the slasher genre altogether? Um, no, I don't think you are. And there's a couple of reasons why. Um, one was the next point I was about to make about Eli Roth, um, which is I, and also a lot of horror fans and critics and whatnot, um, and even Eli Roth himself, um, I don't, I don't consider Hostel to be slasher films. Um, Hostel, the tone of Hostel and just the general setup of those films, um, they don't really align, align with the slasher genre. Um, they kind of fall into their own kind of caveat of of the horror industry which is way more aligned with like torture porn um uh, some have called it um extreme body horror uh, things like that so i wouldn't even consider his films a part of of these asher genre Uh, the other thing is um also just like saw i don't consider salt to fall within uh, on the slasher genre either um for similar reasons um and then the other thing is that when you look at the progression of horror and the progression of the slasher genre um this idea that there's always kind of a need or or an obligation to go farther and make things even more over the top with things like that. I talked about it during the intro of today's podcast. Um, that was very much a alive and well thing in the 80s and in the 90s um, and a little bit into the early 2000s with a couple of franchises. But uh, that was very much a thing. Um, at those times, uh, because I think to a certain point, especially with Friday the 13th um, and Hypeman on Elm Street, uh, those franchises in the 80s and into the 90s were very much a product of themselves to where there was um, that kind of obligation. Now, I don't think that obligation is true across the board um, throughout the various decades for all of horror, even for the slasher genre. Um, you take Scream, for example, and Scream is really a deconstruction of the slasher genre itself. You look at the various Scream films and you really don't see that kind of escalation at all. Um, Scream 
all of the on-screen character deaths and things like that are very much actually a lot of what we see in this first Friday the 13th film are just are very quick they kind of happen a lot of the buildup is way more in like uh, in the chase prior to the killing than in the actual depiction of violence itself um, and so like this idea that like that's true of all slasher films are, th- are true throughout out horror um, I'm not entirely sure that's really a, a sound position to take because I don't think it's actually as pervasive as some people um, suggest that it is. And again, I think using Eli Roth as an example of almost anything other than, you know, bad films is kind of, <laughs> is kind of, it's kind of a mistake in and of itself as well. But um, yeah. Anyway. All that to say, I forget what your original transitional question was. So you're fine. You can respond you're fine. and remind me of it. Yeah. Well, I, I was I was asking, you know, like, um, you know, about how how and you kind of answered because we were talking about, you know, the escalation of violence in slasher films, um, you know, and 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 it, you know if if that was just kind of a, a necessary aspect of them, um, you know, and yeah. I, you know, I, I I tend to agree with you on Eli Roth, but I will I will warn you. I mean, like, just just letting you know, he's he's for whatever reason considered an auteur of the craft. I don't know why, but he is. Uh, you know, I know like, he is. I know he is. He's uh, not. You know, I mean, I, I feel. I mean, I, I feel the same. You know, you know, I I feel the same way about old, uh, our boy old Rob Zombie. In fact, I think when I when I told you when we were doing when you were picking the 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 movies that we're going to do at the end, you know, that they're voting on. I said, as long as there's no Rob Zombie movies on there. Cause I just, <laughs> uh, so, you know, um, let's talk about Friday the 13th. Let's actually yeah. get in. We've kind of, let's actually talk about the movie. It's so hard. Wow. Let's talk about the actual yeah. movie. Yeah. That uh, happens all the time. This is one of those, this is one of those films just because of, of when it happened and where it falls and the continuum and the kind of things that spawned. It's really hard to talk about just, it without talking about a, a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, yeah, well, let's, it, let's talk about the actual movie, though. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it is it is kind of a seminal moment, um, you know, and in, in in the horror genre um, because it is it is that moment where, because I think in all honesty, it's it it, it it you know we said Chainsaw Master is a ground grindhouse movie. This one it's it's a grindhouse movie. It really is uh, that for whatever reason crossed over. Um, so what? What works about this film, Al? Let's start there. Why is this film? Uh, why why is this film stood the test of time so well? Ooh, yeah. Um, so, well, let, let me ask you this question. You you <laughs> you like this film, right? <laughs> I do. I okay, do. I okay, like this okay, one. Okay, all right, all right, let's, okay. All right. Just wanted to be real. Real care. It dawned on me that I, I was like, I don't remember it because you know I, I knew you liked Shining, I knew you liked Witch. I don't know what your opinion on Vertigo is, but I don't. I, I never. I don't think we've ever discussed this film. Uh, so so good. Okay. So so it it's good to ask you since you like the film. Why does this film work? So yes, why does this film work, Al? Why has it stood the test of time? Yeah, sure. So um, so um, I think um, a lot of the reason why um. Um, it stood the test of time, and why it um, is considered such a classic is um, is honestly a c- couple of reasons. Um, one is 
is that Friday the 13th is really good at what it tries to do. And um, that's not true for a lot of horror films. <laughs> There's a lot of horror films that don't really know what they're trying to do or they know what they're trying to do and they don't do a very good job of it. Uh, Friday the 13th does a really good job of doing what it sets out to do. And that is to, to invoke fear through this idea that um, these people at the camp, um, a majority of them very young people in their late teens, early 20s, what have you, uh, invoke fear through seeing these people um, uh, get hunted, essentially, and then seeing Alice, um, uh, the final girl of the film, um, gradually realize that they're being hunted and see her experience the dread that that kind of experience um, would have on a human being, right? Uh, this idea that, that you're being pursued, that you're being hunted, that there's a very real force out to try to end your life. Uh, the movie does a really good job of getting that across. Uh, it doesn't try to get extremely fancy. It doesn't try to get like extremely um, uh, cerebral or psychological. There are definitely psychological themes in it, but uh, those things don't ever get in the way of the fact that they are trying to induce fear through seeing people get hunted and realize that they're being hunted. Um, so that's one reason. Um, the, the second reason why I think it's lasted so long and has, has stood the test of time, as you have eloquently put, um, is that, uh, and I got to um, to this happen in real time um, this month uh, because my wife and I um, are watching all of the all of the Friday the 13th films and she had not ever seen any of them um, and so I got to see her kind of witnesses for the first time is seeing the fact that um, that it actually isn't your typical idea of a slasher antagonist um, that is actually um, I'm Jason's mom, and that she's so effective at it because she's um, thinking about how she's doing these things. She's very calculative in how she goes on on this hunt for other people who, in her mind, are the reason uh, why she lost her son. Um, I think those two things really work together well to make this um, film really stand out. Uh, both in horror history and also specifically uh, within the slasher genre, is that it's able to do what it tries to do so well. And that um, while doing that, it's still able to subvert your expectations a bit and still leave room for um, some other things to happen, some other um, groundwork to be laid for the future of the franchise. Well, yeah, I am. I, um, I do. Uh, I. I... I, when I first saw the film uh, out way back, you know, this is uh, back in the back in the day, probably when I was thirteen or fourteen. This is maybe embarrassing to admit. I don't know, but I remember watching the movie, going, "When's Jason going to show up?" You know, because like, because <laughs> I think I'd seen maybe two or three or four before I saw this one, and uh, and so like I used kind of watch it, you know, wondering when's Jake, Jason going to show up. And there's kind of there's almost a little mystery to it like who is actually doing this and you kind of 
you hear instances of, you know, the two kids that died in 58, you know, Enos uh, talks about, you know, two kids that died in 58, talks about the drowning, uh, you know, and stuff like that. Uh, and it turning out to be Pamela Voorhees, I remember being thinking that was kind of a kind of an interesting twist, um, you know, and uh, that leads to my next question, you know, because like, you know, Brenda, um, you know, Brenda, you know, however she dies, she's she's a she's a hundred. She's about I, I don't like to guess a, a woman's weight, but she's probably about 100 pounds, 100, 100 to 120 pounds. And she gets chunked through a window at one point. Um Bill is hung upside down with a knife in his chest uh, uh, from a tree. Kevin Kevin Bacon's character, which I know he's got a name, but it will always be Kevin Bacon. Uh, sure, Kevin, Kevin Bacon uh, has a has an arrow stuck through a mattress through his back and then out the other end of him. So one of the questions I do want to ask you, Al, is. Uh, do they ever explain maybe in some like deleted scene, like you would know better than I do, what kind of human growth hormone Pamela Voorhees is on <laughs> in this movie? Right. Um, as far as I know, they don't. Um, as far as I know, um, the original film is almost, not quite, but almost uh, completely void of any s- supernatural kind of stuff that goes on now that uh isn't true obviously at the end where you have the scene with Jason um jumping out of the lake and things like that and there's a debate as to whether that happened or if it's a dream sequence or what have you but um as far as i know um no there's no like allusion to um if she's if pamela Voorhees is just on steroids if she's using the the strength of her of like the spirit of her her dead son of the lake to, to do these things so that um a la dwight schrute she has the strength of a <laughs> she has the strength of an adult as well as a drowned child yeah exactly um, <laughs> um, <laughs> the, um I, just, I just remember like you know like i i, I the first time i watched this it didn't hit as hard but like watching it today uh watching it with jake here a while ago uh, there's a part where Alice hits her square across the back with a uh, with a uh, fire poker, fireplace poker, and I mean a solid steel fireplace poker. Hits her square across the back as hard as she can. I'm like, I, you know, that should like, I mean, that, that should keep you down for a bit. You know, I mean, she's a 60 year old woman. Like, it should, you know, keep you down for a while. You know, she just trucks on. I, I do wonder. I, the only reason I break it up, I'm, I promise, I'm not just being pedantic for the you know, just for the sake of it. But I do wonder if, there, if uh, was there, you know, cause you know, Jason himself is, you know, super strong, you know, like nigh unkillable, <laughs> you know, uh, sure, sure. was there, was there some kind of illusion to like, you know, like, you know, maybe, you know, the reason Jason is so strong is because, you know, Pamela Voorhees was basically impossible to kill because I mean, <laughs> I, mean she, I mean, she takes a beating. I mean, you know, she takes, yeah. I mean, she, you know, she takes a, you know, a, a frying pan to the head, a poker to the back. Um, you know, he's hit with the, uh, uh, with the, um, uh, with the oar from the boat. Even when she gets her head cut off, uh, she manages to clench and unclench her fists a couple times, which I guess, you know, I, I mean, I, I know that like, yeah, to, to also, to also quote 
you know, the office, you know, you're thinking of a chicken, you know, well, you know, as Creed goes, well, what did I say? You know, but like, uh, I'm just saying like, I mean, she, she does seem to be, you know, like supernaturally strong in this film to pull off what, what they ask her to do. Yeah. Um, no, 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 that's true. Um, the explanation of, I've seen is not confirmed or anything. The explanation I've seen just kind of thrown around like on the internet forums and stuff and what have you um, is that um, her, um, uh, her mind is so set on, um, on getting revenge and the adrenaline is so constantly pumping through her body that um, it's allowing her to do these um, uh, very much superhuman um, feats of strength and endurance. Um, now I don't know how how so true that like, is. Kind of like that was woman lifting a kind of like the woman lifting a car when her baby's trapped under it or something. Kind of the Ex- only like a weird exactly. inverse version of that. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah exactly. I mean, I can I see that. that. Like yeah. that's not a, you know, here's like that's not a bad explanation. I mean, compared yeah. to compared to a lot of horror movie uh, stuff I've seen, uh, that that's as good of explanation as any. Uh, not, you know, you know, Bessie Palmer here. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a really classic role. I was telling, uh, uh, I don't know if you know this or not there. And this is apparently from the, um, 30th anniversary, uh, documentary, but Bessie Palmer said that when she first got the script, uh, she read it and said, this is a piece of, you know, what, you know, and then she said, she thought about it and said, but I do need a new car. And so that's why she took the role, which I think is hilarious. There you go. Um, because it's it's really, I mean, it's, you know, Betsy Palmer's actually kind of something of an accomplished actress, but this is her defining role. For sure, for sure. And, um, and I think she really, they got lucky because she brings, I'm just saying like any, like 99% of actresses, you know, if they started talking in Jason's voice to themselves, you know, you would look at that and go, this is the funniest thing I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And the way Betsy Palmer does it, you know, in my opinion, uh, it, it just fits so perfectly that it just like that type of psychosis just comes across the screen and it's not, it's not silly. You know, it just, it just comes across as straight up scary, you know? Right. And, sure. and I think that's, that's what she brings to it. Talk a little bit more about Bessie Palmer because she's, she's honestly, you know, at this point, you know, also become kind of a slasher icon herself. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, and I think that is one of the things that really helps um, set this film apart from a lot of other slashers and a lot of other horror films is that um you know there was there's this tendency that filmmakers have with a lot of the really big slasher franchises that um they kind of try to give uh their antagonists a bit more backstory almost try to make them a bit more empathetic um uh, this is um Probably the most atrocious um, example of this, we get to talk about um, um, Zombie again. Um, in his remake of um, Halloween, um, yeah. it was an oddly um, positive, sympathetic uh, um, portrayal um, of Michael, um, especially as a kid. And it was very strange. Um, but the original Friday the 13th, is one that 
you know, as, as terrifying and as psychotic of a performance that she gives, um, Etsy Palmer um, does a really good job of, of selling the idea that, you know, the fact that her son died, it destroyed her. It, mm-hmm. it, it changed who she was. Um, it, it completely warped her, her mind um, and, and gave her this, this obsession to get revenge and to, and to punish any other um, counselor who, who showed up at that camp. Um, this idea that, um, that this antagonist, uh, you know, again, not entirely, but in a way is kind of a sympathetic figure Um um, it's really interesting, and it's it's one of the more impressive things that um, um, that Friday the Thirteenth does. Um, you see it a bit more as the franchise goes on. They try to um, um, to make um, a bit more of like almost an antihero out of Jason himself. But um, um, yeah, it's really it's really impressive uh, on what she's able to do, especially just with the fact that she was trying to get a new a new car out of it, you know, a majority yeah. of, of actors with that kind of um, reasoning and motivation would kind of phone in the performance. But the fact that she was able to be so convincing um, in that role was really, really impressive. Yeah, you know, none of the, there, in my opinion, there's really only one bad performance in the movie. And I, and I looked this up and it's actually, it was, uh, it was part that uh, was not in the original script uh, because they said it, it interrupted the movie and it does. The only bad performance in this movie is is the cop that shows up halfway through, who I think is the most ridiculous character. <laughs> you know, like 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 he just like he he does this like thing where like he gives you like fifteen different nicknames for weed in like five seconds, and then like you know it's I don't know he's just he's just ridiculous. Uh, but um, you know, he's of course he's kind of there to move the story along um, and to uh, you know kind of give you this idea this place is cursed. But really, it, it's you know every character is really kind of effective, and there's like, you know, like it's almost out of place because I don't even think the movie needed it. But before um, uh, uh, Kevin Bacon and um, Kevin, what's Kevin Bacon's girlfriend name? Is it? Um, is it oh, Mary? oh gosh, it might be. I'm so bad. Emily, it's Emily. <laughs> I don't know. We're, we're, Let's we're say Emily. Yeah, we're, we're going to get brutalized for this. We're, we are going to get brutalized for this. Sounds good. I watched this today, so I should know what it is. But I, I refuse to learn. I mean, every time I saw him on screen, I was just like, it's Kevin Bacon. I refuse That's to learn what his name is. Um, and I do that for both movies Kevin Bacon is in, you know. Uh, but, um, you know, like right before, you know, they, you know, their, their scene, uh, you know, they have the scene where they hook up and then they die. <laughs> but you get this, like, weird you know like part where like he's explaining like a nightmare she's had about like you know water turning to blood or rain turning to blood and it's it's really fairly effective and it doesn't really have to be it's like a it's a scene that really it's it's not it's not necessary to really anything that's happening you know because you know it's not like you know having precognition as part of the story or anything but you know like all the actors are really you know trying their best, you know, and, and that's something I think that that's one thing I think that sets it apart from a lot of these 
you know, really these, you know, early slasher movies is like, you can always pick out, like there's some pretty bad acting in like black Christmas and, right. you know, and uh, stuff like that, you know, but like there really isn't in this one. This one's pretty effective all the way through. Um, I, I do, I do have to, uh, discuss a little bit, um, you know, about, um, the, 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 you know, like to me, the, the, this movie, of course, is, uh, a, it's for it, for it being a slasher film, you would think it would rely on jump scares, but it really relies on that very weird point of view camera. Um, you know, which I think is kind of the, the trademark of this film to me in a lot of ways. Uh, if you're if, uh, looking at how a film's made and shot, uh, the trademark of this film is that point of view camera where you're seeing things from a perspective you're not supposed to see from. And it's really very um, disconcerting a lot of times um, because, you know, you're used to seeing, you know, and, and they, they do a real good job of cutting back and forth, you know, to create this, this disconcerting feel where like, you know, there's a part they the particular when they're when they're when they're on the on the beach uh you know and they're uh playing around on the beach or whatever and um you know they're the camera will be within the midst of them so like you're you're there you're part of you know as the you're part of the party so to speak you know you're like right there with all the characters you know you're right in the middle of them you know there's things happening in front of you beside you next to you you know and then the camera will pan, not pan, but it'll just immediately cut to from behind a bush, from behind a tree, you know, whatever. And it's this really jarring, disconcerting feeling. Like to me, it, it that that was that level of, um, you know, of of, of uh, voyeurism almost that you're feeling with uh, presumably Mrs. Voorhees um, was was probably the most disconcerting part of the film to me. Um, and, and what kind of, you know, you, you talk about, uh, horror movies, you know, having intention to scare you to me, that was the part that was, this, was that affected me the most as being the scariest part, because it really does throw you off. Uh, what about this movie do you find effective as, as to, you know, scaring you or having that feeling, you know, the, having the intention of scaring, uh, that we've talked about in the other two, uh, podcasts? Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, the point of view camera, um, is an excellent example. Um, um, now this isn't the, f um, for, uh, first film to use that t t technique to have that kind of desired, um, effect Halloween of aimlessly used it a couple of years prior. Um, Absolutely. that's the thing. That's the thing I say a lot about about Friday the 13th, is that um, a lot of what it does, it does really well, is just for a majority of the film. It isn't the first one to do it. Uh, but, um, yeah, the, that's a great example of it. Um, and that really amplifies what I'm going to talk about is really the main way to kind of incite and provoke fear is this idea that um, these, these people are being hunted. Uh, well, one of the most effective ways to do that is to um, flash between viewing them as just kind of an objective, like third-party art audience, and then alternating that with viewing them as as the hunter yourself through the eyes of 
Hamill and Voorhees. Um, I'm really effective because I think it does a couple of things. I think it helps you to see things um, literally from her from her perspective, which I think adds to um, the reveal that it's her and why her character is so um, empathizable uh, because you're physically used to seeing things from her perspective. It's, a, it's almost as if you've shared her eyes and vision. Um, and so you're able to, to relate to her a lot more. Um, and I think it also um, is really effective at provoking the, uh, the fear about this film is because it, the fear in Friday the 13th um, and the majority of slashers as well is that it comes down to this very, very base um, evolutionary human fear. And that is um, the human desire to not die. I mean, you get to, I mean, you really get down to it. It, it kind of sounds f- funny to say it that way out loud, but, you know, it's, it's inherent to our human genes to our DNA to to prolong our life and to um, experience life and to go on and have have children and all those things are getting into more evolutionary psychology now but that base desire to survive and to avoid threats that could end your life and prevent you from experiencing those things that you value in life um, that's really the base of the horror um, in Friday the 13th. And the fact that you see it happen objectively from the audience point of view, but also that you see the buildup to that happening and sometimes the act of killing them itself, you see it from a very much first person point of view as well. Um, it's really good at taking that primal fear and making it very real because again, you're seeing it as it's happening. You're seeing it from the position both of the young people who you've watched interact with each other and kind of grown close to, uh, but also from the point of view of the hunter and of the perpetrator of death as well. Um, And it really, really does a good job of maximizing that inherent desire we have to avoid threats and to, to abstain from death as long as we can. Yeah. That's yeah. The, uh, and I mean, yeah, that's the, that's definitely the crux of it. Um, I also think there's a, I think the vulnerability is a, is an aspect here, which I think mm-hmm. a lot of times when, uh, not to belabor a point that we've already belabored, uh, but I think a lot of times when we, when we discuss the, you know, the, the idea of, you know, well, they're always getting killed, you know, when they're having sex or making out or whatever. But the, the reason that's effective is because of the vulnerable state you are in, you know, when that happens, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and Kevin, the Kevin Bacon's death in this, I think one of the reasons it's, it's, and it still is, is shocking to me is because, you know, the, there, there, there's no way, you know, to avoid that because it comes from a, it, it's literally coming from under him when he's laying down. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of, that kind of death is, I mean, it, it's the ultimate vulnerability. You know, you're laying down basically half asleep, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, 
something gets you. It's it's the main reason why the Nightmare on Elm Street movies work mm-hmm. so well sure. is because sure. you're most vulnerable when you're asleep. Um, and everybody has to sleep at some point. And so, you know, that that idea of like, you know, t- you know, coming at you when you're most vulnerable, and that's kind of, that happens pretty much throughout the majority of this movie, particularly, you know, we see um you know, we see Kevin Bacon dying when he's on the bed. We see his girlfriend dying in the washroom. Uh, you know, uh Brenda, of course, you know, for whatever reason runs outside in her nighty and I, I still don't like, I, I, I don't know, but like whatever, but for whatever reason she does that, uh, you know, but there is a, you know, that's, that's the, that's kind of the, the core element here is like, there's a vulnerability happening, you know, when you die here. Um, and, and that I think really, um, um, adds to this movie. Um, because that, that to me, like I said, I, I don't really get, you know, too too frightened by slasher movies most of the time. Uh, you know, I think you know for the most part they're kind of ridiculous. Um, but even that idea of of vulnerability, um, you know, getting you when you're you know at your weakest, you know, or mm-hmm. at your least offensive, uh, I think I think that's a that's a that's that's very striking in this movie. Oh, yeah. uh, I do want to uh, kind of pivot here because like this is. Um, you know, in a lot of horror movies, and, and this is this seems to be, you know, and this might be a sweeping statement, Al. So here's the deal: if it's, if this is a sweeping statement, you you can correct me on this, okay? Okay. Okay. But a lot of slasher films, typically by ten to fifteen minutes in, you're ready to see about three of the characters get killed because mm-hmm. they're so annoying. Sure. Uh, is that a is is that something that's necessary to the slasher film? And by the way, the reason I bring this up right now is because I had forgotten how horrible Ned is in this movie. I mean, Ned, <laughs> I mean, let's, I mean, just okay, okay, Ned. You know, like the first, like within within twenty seconds of screen time. Okay, he is presumably hitting on Kevin Bacon's girlfriend. Mm. He then makes very sexually suggestive remarks to Brenda. Mm. Brenda goes to set up the archer, you know, archery range Mm. or whatever. He shoots an arrow at the target that she's just set up while she's just standing there. Okay. He he almost has the first kill of the movie. Exactly. Almost (laughs) has the first kill of the movie. He then responds with a bad Bogart impression. Which, by the way, there are two impressions done in this movie. One is Bogart, and one is Catherine. There Pepper. are, and I've always been so confused, and like, because literally, because like, you know, like, I, I went, I, no joke, when 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 I watched this movie again, like, I actually looked it up. Al, I, I looked up when is this? When is Friday Thirteenth set? Because I literally thought for a second I was like. Have I always thought this movie was set in the '80s and it's like set in the '60s or something? But it's not. It's set in 1979. Okay, so in 1979, they're just doing Bogart and Catherine Hepburn impressions. You know, these you know set in 1970s teenagers. Okay, but like anyway, I, I, I he, that's not here or there. He does a bad Bogart impression. Okay, all right. Then 
when the cop shows up for whatever reason, he's running around in his underwear in a Native American headdress, you know. I mean, like, Homeboy has hit literally every aspect of cancel culture in 2020 you could possibly do. From Me Too to racially insensitive to downright dangerous with weapons, you know, like every single one of them. I have never, like, I mean, like, I, I was I, I was ready, you know, like, the only, as I'm watching this, I'm like, I remember he's the first to die, and I know why they did it, because they couldn't have him around much longer, because it would, <laughs> you know, and he's the first to go down, you know? Mm-hmm. So, like, is it, is it essential to the genre? Because I, I do think, it, that's always been my problem with the Saw films, is that the Saw films are these morality plays, but the main issue is, like, I, it, it's really hard for me to get behind any of the people in the Saw films, you know, because they're all just, like, horrible, and that's the point of the movie, you know, is they're horrible, and all this is, is presumably deserved, you know? So, like, but with the slasher films, like, is it important to have characters that you want to see die? Like, is that a thing that's necessary? You know, or yeah, like, like, because I mean, because like I said, like I, I'm having a hard time thinking of one where there isn't a character that like I just didn't want to see dead. I mean, I'm just thinking like, you know, Ryan, Ryan, Ryan Phillippe's character, and I know what you did last summer. Like, I mean, he is just, you know, the the equivalent of the entitled white boy through that entire movie. You mm-hmm. know, and like he's the first one gone. You know, and you're yeah. just like, good. <laughs> you know, I mean. <laughs> You know, you're like, all right, you know, some justice finally. So, you know, is, is that necessary or is it, or is the trope that's used to, you know, is that a trope that's used to further the story in some way? What do you think? Right. So I think, I think this is one of those things. And I'm usually one of the first people to say that, like, I'll point to, like, um, a bunch of recurring themes or tropes or archetypes that come up and, in horror films, I'm, always, I'm usually one of the first people to say uh, that those things are real and, and talk about them at length and different examples of them. I, but I think in this case, uh, because you are right, it comes up a lot in slasher films. There's usually, um, there's often a couple characters that like are very distasteful that you don't like. Uh, but like a lot of the times, there is usually a character who you're just like, oh man, I cannot wait for the slaughter to start because I can't take this character anymore. Um, but I think that kind of that almost kind of falls into an area of of trying to have some realism in the film almost <laughs> because um, I agree with you entirely about Ned. Ned is one of the most irritating human beings in all of fiction. I agree with you. But, like, I mean, I know people like Ned in real life. I mean, <laughs> I, I, really, I really do. Um, yeah. And you kind of get that with the majority of slasher films and the cast of characters. I mean, um, it's almost a thing of, like, the filmmakers are trying to cast their net to show kind of a variety of different types of people. And a lot of those types of people do go on to kind of become, you know, um, archetypes of characters, you know, kind of examined in, like, um, I'm in other films. You look at Cabin in the Woods. Um, there's a character in Cabin in the Woods 
who like, you know, in the environment and the world building of that film, they are like the, the stoner character. They're like, uh, I forget what they're called within the context of the movie, but like they're the, you know, they're that character. The fools. Thank you. Yeah. They're that character. (laughs) They fit the archetype. I think that kind of stereotype or occurring um, occurrence in, in horror movies though, um, as, as real and as solidified of it now, I think when you go back this far with Friday the 13th in 1980, I think it's way, I think it's, it's way more innocent in that uh, they're really just trying to make characters who are realistic. And like, I'll be honest, man, I don't think I've ever had a friend or had a person I knew who's quite like Evan Aiken in that film, but I have definitely had people in my life who are like Ned in Friday the 13th. <laughs> Friday well, the 13th. So I almost think it's kind of like that. Well, you bring up Cabin in the Woods. I think Cabin in the Woods, which by the way, plug real quick, one of the movies you can vote for us to talk more about if you want us to. Oh, yeah. uh, but um, you bring up Cabin in the Woods. Um, one of the, but see, that's one of the interesting things about Cabin in the Woods is like that stoner character, you know, points out because, you know, they're drugging them in that movie. That Stoner character is one that points out that's like, you know, Chris Hemsworth character is also not acting like Chris Hemsworth. He's like, you know, he has to be more of a jerk because that's the character he is. You know, like at one point he calls, he, you know, he calls uh, one of the girls a nerd, you know, and like he's like, he's a sociology, he's a sociology major. Like, it's like, you know, like, you know, <laughs> you know, he's, you know he, he's a nerd himself, you know, but like because he has to fit that framework, you know, he has to be the jerk, you know, the jerky jock character, you know. Um, you know I, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I mean, I've probably had some some Neds in my life. Uh, yeah, I've probably had some of the Kevin Bacon's in my life, too. I mean, Kevin Bacon's character is really kind of nondescript in this movie. Um, but but I, it just does seem like, you know, there are just characters within these movies, you know, you're just waiting, waiting for them to you know, finally get it, you know, finally, you know, just, you know, uh, uh, almost if there's like some type of, uh, well, yeah, to go off Cabin in the Woods, almost like there's some type of divine justice, you know, to, you know, horrible people, you know, uh, you know, getting, uh, getting killed in these movies. Um, from a, from a story perspective, Al, um, you know, the, the movie, you know, like we've talked a little bit about, you know, Pamela Voorhees. Uh, there is a little bit of a mystery kind of, kind of thing going on. Um, you know, the, we talked about some of the characterizations and that kind of thing. Um, but you have brought up, you brought up the, the, the final girl element. You talked about that quite a bit. Um, you know, um, Alice is a really good, I think, final girl. Um, you know, they, they, you know they do things very well with her. Uh, I, I don't know if a, I don't know if a lot of it's intentional. Um, you know she's the, you know she's the only girl that doesn't seem to, um, you know have a, um, you know I mean she, she's just she's just extremely pure is what she is. Mm-hmm. Um, when we talk about final girls, you know, and you know Alice and and of course Jamie Lee Curtis's. Uh, character as well uh, in Halloween, which is names escape me, which is just sad. I don't know why. Do you, can you think of her name real quick? Um, Lori. Yeah, Lori. Yeah. 
you know, uh, you, you, we talk about that. You know, what, you know, what makes a good final girl character? You know, um, you know, like what, what, what classifies that? Because, you know, Alice is, uh, right, again, she's not the first one, but she's almost kind of a, a seminal one, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what, what? What makes a good, uh, good final girl character, and how was Alice influential on those? Um, yeah, that's that's a that's a great question. Um, it really gets to the to to the heart of um, the slasher franchise. Um, so I think I think it's a few things. Um, final girls or revival girls are um, um, they're not all cut from the same cloth <laughs> if you will um, and um, and I think that's a good thing um, as well um, because I think just like um, real people in everyday life um, you can have various strengths and various uh, personality traits and those can help you in service you um, in various ways in real life as it can if you're being hunted and stalked by um, a hero killer. Um, so um, Alice in Friday the 13th is, she's probably the final girl that in almost all of slasher films, she probably isn't the best example she probably isn't like the toughest example or the smartest example. She's smart and she's talented and she's tough and all of those things, but she isn't really a superlative in all of, in any of them. But something that she does have is that prior to the villain showing up, I probably feel the worst for Alice than I do for almost any other final girl hmm. in horror. Because the first time you really see Alice, um, he comes down and greets um, um, Evan Bacon and his friends. Um, I I actually tried to use his character name now, but we've referred to him as Kevin Bacon so much. It's Kevin Bacon. Which is who he is. Don't even. <laughs> she, don't complain about that. They don't need to be. I mean, it's uh, Kevin Bacon. Okay. Um, the very next scene, we see her, and she by herself is like replacing like the frame of some of the cabins on the campground. Um, which we learned earlier that they're about two weeks away from opening. If you're still replacing the frames <laughs> on the cabins where children are going to sleep on a campground, you are not two weeks away from opening the campground. Um, and well, if you have as many power problems as they're having, you're not two yeah. weeks away from <laughs> yeah. the campground. Um, and so we see her, her doing this. She's basically doing it by herself. She's already placed half of the thing or more by herself. She's very independent. She's very competent. Um, Steve comes up, um, the dude who's opening the camp in the first place, um, and like, and basically sexually harasses her mm-hmm. the entire time she's putting the frame up. At this point, we really don't know what the history is between her and Steve. It's like 
it's implied that obviously they've spent time together because she's been here helping him. But like, we really don't know anything about their dynamic whatsoever at this point. He's basically sexually harassing her the entire time. Um, she pretty much just says, yeah, I should probably leave and go and go take care of some things back home in California. And we don't know what those things are, but you know what? I mean, we don't have to. She's, she's rebuilt by hand half the damn campground, apparently. She can go she can go take care of her personal business in California if she wants to. It's not a big deal. Um, Steve just says, well, no, stay, stay an extra week, which kind of tells me her employment is kind of, like, specious. Is she being, like, actually paid to do all of these things? I don't know. There's so much about the lore of, of Camp Crystal Lake that I don't know. Um, and then he sees the drawings that she's done. Um, he gives her kind of like a two-way compliment of saying like, hey, you're really talented and also very pretty. It's just like, man, what's going on, dude? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> um, he leaves her, but before he leaves her, he very invasively just like brushes her hair and touches the back of her neck. Um, she's surrounded by idiots <laughs> the entire time at the campground. She has to deal with Ned. Um, like, I feel so bad for Alice <laughs> throughout the movie before Pamela Voorhees even shows up. I'm just like, this, like, this, this poor, poor girl just can't get away from creeps this entire time. She obviously has very pressing business in California that she can't get to because this guy may or may not pay her for rebuilding the campsite. Like it's ridiculous. But, um, as far as, um, as far as the archetype goes though, of like a final girl, um, I actually point to, um, an example of one that's always really stuck out to me in a lot of slashers. Um, and that is um, Nancy Thompson um, in Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, and that is because, um, Josh, have you watched the original Nightmare on Elm Street in a while? Uh, it's, it's probably been about a year or two. I gotcha. So, so the reason why I'm always impressed uh, by... Nancy Thompson in Nightmare on Elm Street as a final girl is that she like she f figures out what's going on. Um, she's not one of those uh, people in horror films who just live in a perpetual like state of denial of what's happening. Um, she's just like, okay, this is happening. This dude is able to kill people in dreams. Let's go. I'm ready. Um, and the way she goes about it, solving the problems of her neighborhood is she sets like traps throughout her house. She like has like an advanced degree in physics and is able to like, to set up all these like physical traps and chemical traps to like, <laughs> to like catch this like ethereal person <laughs> and stuff. And she really goes out of her way. She like booby traps her entire house. She does great. Um, and she's a really good example of a final girl. Uh, bleh, a final girl. Because um, there are things inherent to her that, one, allow her to survive and act as a foil 
to the um, antagonist of her film, right? And we see that a lot. I think she's the, the most clear example of it. But, um, like, for example, Alice in Friday the 13th, uh, Pamela Voorhees is there to punish the counselors who are basically just living lives of sex and debauchery while children go unattended um, and possibly hurt. Um, throughout, throughout the film, though, we see that Alice is very attentive to the, to the campground. Um, she repairs the cabins by hand by herself, apparently. Um, she, she is there to get the other counselors to round them up, to get them back on task and things like that. And she allows herself to have fun, but she doesn't show that kind of irresponsibility or anything like that. She's very observant. She's very aware of herself. And we see that where, um, towards the end of the movie, she meets up with Pamela Voorhees. And very quickly, she's able to ascertain, like, okay, things aren't, like, okay with Pamela Voorhees. Like, something is going on. I need somebody else here. She suggests that they wait for um, Steve to get there, things like that. And that kind of awareness and things like that are what enable her to eventually overcome her. She has the presence of mind to realize, oh, hey, the machete that she was attacking me with, that got flung somewhere. I'm going to go grab it. <laughs> and that's what allows her to survive. Um, now, I think Alice does get um, a little bit um it kind of it's the shaft in part two because Jason comes back and seeks her out and kills her or whatever and it's very unceremonious if you will but um um it's those kinds of things that really decide if a final girl is is effective if she's um, a believable survivor of her s story, things like that, is that they usually have something inherent to them um, that give them an edge, and there's something unique in their personality that allow them to continue to fight and continue to persevere, um, and things like that. If y'all are really interested in this idea of like the survivor girl archetype, there's a film that um, I recommend to a lot of people. It's a really good um, examination and almost a parody type of deconstruction of horror films. Um, and that is uh, Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon, um, where the idea of a final girl is very much um, um, studied and analyzed and broken down throughout the film. Uh, it's really good. Uh, I actually, the, you talked about um, Alice getting killed unceremoniously in the second one. Uh, there's a reason for that. Um, she was going to actually, she apparently had a stalker uh, at the end of the first movie. And uh, she was going to quit acting altogether. And uh, she agreed to come back to kind of make a connective tissue between the first and the second one. Uh, but there was a lot of talk of her kind of being the Laurie Strode of Friday the 13th, but she quit acting for about 20 years. Uh, so yeah. that's, there's, you know, uh, I, I just kind of wanted to put that out there because there was a, 
you know, because you had mentioned before, like, there's this thing where, like, the you survive one film, get killed the next one, uh, and, like, she's kind of the start of that, but it's not, it wasn't really intentional. It was kind of, you know, they just kind of had to do it, uh, you know. Uh, so there are reasons uh, for that. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, I, um, I, I think uh, The Final Girl is, uh, you know, we see it, it's a, um, I don't think that's an archetype that's going to go away anytime soon. Uh, you know, we kind of see it with, uh, I mean, pretty much all, I mean, even some supernatural horror movies. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't want to bring up bad memories for you, Al, but like, I, you know, I saw Curse of La, La, La Lorna and I mean, you had a, there's a final girl situation in that with the mother, you know I mean? She's yeah. definitely the final girl in that. Um, and so, I mean that, you know, the, uh, that, 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 that archetype is, uh, is um, you know kind of clear and clear and present even today, and, and of course you know when I was a teen, that archetype was kind of the uh, you know was almost a teen idol. I mean, Nev Campbell and Jennifer Love Hewitt, you know, I mean yeah. they, you know, I mean they were, I mean they they were they were a couple of my crushes, you know, uh, and and it was because of of uh, you know Scream and uh, I know what you did last summer, you mm-hmm. know, I mean they were definitely portrayed as you know, as, as the final girls in that movie, but also as, you know, kind of like teen heartthrobs, so to speak. Um, so I do, you know, like, I don't, I don't envision that going away, uh, anytime soon. Um, so Friday 13th, you know, we, we've talked, we've talked about the movie, uh, we talked about its legacy. Um, you know, uh, we've talked about Jason, even though he's not in this one at the end yeah, uh, to to kind of end this podcast, kind of bring it back full circle. Um, slasher films, you know, are are they dead? You know, what what do you do you see? You know, um, you know, I mean, it seems like you know slasher films have come out recently. You know, are either a almost deconstruction slasher films, like I would say, like um, you know, a movie. Uh, well, you, you brought up Scream. I'd say a movie like Your Next, which I loved. I thought Your Next was a fantastic movie. Uh, probably one of my favorite, probably my favorite modern horror movie, honestly. But uh, it's definitely a deconstruction of slasher films. So do you think the, the, the trope is kind of worn out its welcome, or do you think it's going to come back? And is there is there a place, you know, for it to come back? Like, you know, or have we gone as far as we can with slasher films, Al? Right. Well, I think that um, I think that it's inarguably true that um, the genre is not as popular as it used to be. Um, I don't. I'm not sure if it'll ever be as popular as um, it was in the '80s and early '90s, where um, um, it really just dominated the horror industry. Um, but I think we see a lot, um, uh, very much from decade to decade that, um, the different types of horror, um, as far as popularity and as far as, uh, the output of them, um, um, it really has an ebb and flow to it. Um, you know, in the eighties, it was all about the slashers. Um, um, that kind of continued into the 90s um, as well. Um, then in kind of the the 2000s and kind of 
into the 2010s, um, you see kind of the outgrowth of of the slasher genre kind of reaching its hopping point. And that's where you see the outgrowths of like, um, of, of torture type films like Hostel and Saw. That's where they came out of. But really, uh, the dominance in, in the 2000s and the 2010s, for the most part, were very much in more of like the supernatural areas. You saw a lot more haunted house films. You saw a lot more um, of various types of possession films and things like that. So horror in general is one of those things that really kind of ebbs and flows um, as far as what type of horror um, is popular. Uh, you go back uh, prior to the slashers, um, and then a lot of stuff in the 70s was more sci-fi horror, kind of continuing into the 80s um, as well, and then there was a trade-off again. Uh, I don't think the genre is gone <laughs> by any means. I don't think it's dead. Um, studios tried to recapture that popularity. Uh, you'll see... Uh, from about, um, I want to say like 2008 to about 2013 or so, there was a whole influx of of Asher remakes uh, that happened. Um, you got the remake of Friday the 13th, of Nightmare on Elm Street. You got the uh, Rob Zombie. And you got the Rob Zombie remakes of Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, you got, uh, you even got on the remake Black of Texas Chainsaw um, in 2013 as well. And you um, got Black Christmas too, man. Black Christmas, yeah. So you saw a really big influx of remakes of slasher films. And I and I don't think enough time had passed for those to really take off. Um, it also didn't help that the majority of those were really bad. Um, but I also think that timing was a factor as well. I don't think enough time had passed. Um, I think the on the more supernatural side of horror was still way too popular and dominant at the time. Uh, now, one series that I think um, does slasher films really well and really introduces a new take on them uh, that have happened recently is um, is um, the films um, called Happy Death Day. Um, and what Happy... And what Happy F Day does is that it's basically the story of a slasher film. Um, a final girl is being hunted by um, a serial killer, essentially. But um, what separates it from the rest of the slasher genre is that it's like um, a Groundhog Day type thing. Mm-hmm. She gets killed and she has to relive that day. And each new day uh, presents her with an opportunity to fight the killer in a new, different way. Um, um, there's been a couple of them already. First one came out in 2017. The, uh, the second one came out last year. And um, it's been confirmed that it'll get a third installment as well. Um, but obviously production on it has been slow because the pandemic hit and everything got all delayed and screwed up and stuff. But... Um, I think those films are really good examples of the fact that one, the slasher genre uh, can definitely come back. 
<laughs> because those films were very successful on their own, um, especially the first one after the fact. Also, um, it got a huge following as um, as well after it became a bit more available on, on streaming services and things like that. Um, and also, too, um, I think the Happy Death Day films really show the fact that um, the slasher genre does not have to be the same old thing every time. Um, you can do new, interesting things with the genre that really set your movie apart from the things that came before it while still following um, similar types of ideas and traditions that have been established. I loved, I thought Happy Death Day was genius. I mean, I thought it was a fantastic (laughs) movie. And, uh, you know, the remakes, um, we left out Evil Dead, even though I don't consider Evil Dead a slasher, but it was a remake too. It was part of that group i think the problem with the remakes is um in my opinion is that a lot of them lost the heart and soul of those movies they were all very slick and uh, very uh you know well produced and you know and just they looked they looked very hollywood and i mean when you watch friday the 13th the first one you know the the kind of the gritty nature of it works in its favor and um and i think a lot i think a lot of these uh, I think that's an issue with a lot of remakes is they, they want to take it and put it through a filter uh, and make it into something that it's probably not intended to be. Uh, Evil Dead's best example. Evil Dead, I, you know, I remember when I came out of that movie, I was just really, really upset because it just was not, it just, it just wasn't what the first one was in, in tone or really in anything. It was just kind of a very mean-spirited movie. Um, and I kind of felt that way about the Friday 13th remake, uh, mm-hmm. was that it was kind of a, a mean spirited movie in a lot of ways. Um, because it seemed like that's almost where the genre was going, uh, there for a bit, uh, moving into that Eli Roth, Rob Zombie direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the one, what I do like about happy death day is like happy death day, you know, is it's got jump scares. It's got, you know, I mean, it's, and it's got a good story. It's got a really likable protagonist. I mean, he's fantastic in it. Um, but it's at, at, you know, at its core, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's got a lot of heart and, it, and it's just fun. And I think that's where, you know, uh, you know, slasher films, you know, um, you know, like we were joking about, you know, Pamela Voorhees, you know, having, you know, being on human growth hormone or whatever, but, you know, Friday the 13th, you know, the movie itself, you know, is just a, is just a good, scary movie. That's what it is. I mean, and it does, it does that well. And I don't think it really, um, you know, it, it, it doesn't attempt to be anything more than that. It just attempts to be the best at that. And, and that's, that's what makes it stand out to me. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I think, I think, you know, like I said, slasher films are kind of my, my least, probably my least favorite of the horror subgenres, honestly. Um, mm-hmm. but I think this was a very good, uh, example of that um so i'll i will uh, i'll give you the last word on friday the 13th man you know and uh slash your films in general anything else you want to say um right um um i'm sorry i apologize um i <laughs> i pulled up the imdb page of happy death day because i was curious about the name of the actress who plays the protagonist um it's a it's a Jessica Roth, um, and she's excellent in it. It caught my eye 
Um, the writer for Happy Death Day is Scott Lobdell. Um, yes, that's oh, Scott yeah. Lobdell. Oh, I knew. Yeah, no, um, I, I, knew I did that. not know that. I did not yeah, know that at all. That's crazy. Listen, okay. Scott, look, look, Scott Lobdell in the nineties <laughs> was like fantastic comic book writer. He's got it in him. I just, I don't know what he's done to your, your boy Jason Todd, but you know, uh, he, he, he has, he has the ability to write well. Sure. Um, Anyway, I'm sorry, y'all. Oh, Jacob, you can probably <laughs> Jacob, you can probably cut that part out. No, <laughs> no, you I refuse. Do not uh, cut that out. <laughs> I will make it hard to cut that out. Okay. But um, yeah. But um, no. As far as um, as far as the movie goes, um, uh, 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 so Friday the Thirteenth is one of those movies that um, I like to say that. Um, Throughout, throughout its history, um, it's gotten um, a little bit of an identity crisis. And I alluded to this a little bit earlier. It does a ton of stuff really well. Um, a majority of that stuff um, um, had been done earlier <laughs> by other films. Uh, we talked about uh, the camera point of view. Uh, we talked about this idea that... Um, of slashers are there to punish sexual activity. That's also a film theory that originated out of Halloween before it originated out of um, this one. Um, there's this idea behind Hi Jason having uh, the largest horror franchise when there are um, two Friday the 13th films where he does not even appear in. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, we have this iconography about him and like uh, the iconic. Uh, hockey mask which he doesn't even wear until the third film it's very much a franchise that has a bit of an identity crisis um, when it comes to its um, significance and horror but um it is a part of history uh if you are one of those people who you just don't like slasher films at all i know a lot of people who love horror films but they just don't like slashers um then this is probably this is probably one that you can skip, if I'm being honest, uh, uh, just because uh, while it is an important part of horror history, if you just aren't into that genre, then you won't be into this. <laughs> That's just kind of how it is. But um, if you are into slashers or if you have kind of an open mind when it comes to horror films, uh, this is definitely one I suggest um, um, seeing um, and checking it out just to kind of... Um, see the cultural significance of it and kind of trace back some of the um, tropes and themes that are so prevalent now in horror films that uh, really originated uh, during this era of horror for sure. Yeah, I I, uh, I would agree with you. I think, you know, it's, uh, uh, I mean, I, like I said, I don't, you know, man, maybe check it out anyway. Like I said, I don't, I'm not a big fan of horror, of uh, slasher films. And, uh, you know, I like this one. I think it's a good one. I think it's, uh, you know, does what it's supposed to do really well. Uh, well, I, I, I appreciate it, man. As always, uh, you know, I thank you so much for your, for your expertise. Absolutely. I do want to, uh, I do want to plug real quick because like I said, we got two more of these we're doing now. We got two Ooh. more. Yeah, we so, um, next week we got vertigo, which I will probably let you take the lead on because, uh, it is probably one of my favorite movies ever. Okay. So uh, definitely, uh, that's that's going to be one I'm really looking forward to talking about. I realize it's not a horror movie uh, per se, although I do think it 
I think it qualifies personally, you know, and me and I'll probably argue about that, but that's okay. Uh, uh, but I, but I do want to, after vertigo, I do want to point out, uh, that we have given you listeners the choice for what we're going to watch on our fifth and final podcast. And those choices are, uh, cabin in the woods, fourth kind Carrie. Uh, this is important. It's the original Carrie, not the it's one okay. where Chloe Grace Moretz, who is, you know, who is a very attractive woman, is playing Carrie. Um, <laughs> and uh, let's see, I said the thing, Cabin Woods, uh, Carrie, oh, and uh, the fourth kind. Fourth those kind. are our, those are your four choices. Uh, all of them picked by Al, so you know they're going to be, you know, at the very least decent movies because uh, Al doesn't have, you know, that bad a taste. Um, so, uh, so they're very good movies, very good choices. All of them, we have a lot to talk about, uh, depending on which one you pick. Uh, but basically the way you decide that go on Patreon and, uh, just give us a dollar. And here's the thing, like, I know Patreon signs you up for monthly, but here's the thing. We're just like, we're really just asking for the dollar because we don't have a better way for you to vote. (laughs) So so just go on Patreon, give us a dollar. Uh, that is the uh, price of, uh, I I used everybody used to say cup of coffee, but you can't even cup of coffee for a dollar anymore. Uh, so, but just, you know, just a dollar so that, you know, we can give me and Jake a couple snack cakes, uh, you know, and, uh, and then you can vote, you know, and let us know if, uh, you know, if you like this content, let us know what you want us to do, uh, the next, uh, podcast on. And, uh, we would really appreciate that. Um, so yeah. Thank you so much for listening to us. Uh, Al, once again, thank you for your expertise. And uh, we will be back with you uh, sometime uh, about a, sometime in the next week or so, uh, coming at you again with another podcast. And then we'll have, like I so said, one after that. And we're trying to get them all in before Halloween. Uh, I also want, also, dude, also, uh, I, before I go, um, like I, I have to plug this, I've been doing daily daily articles on the website I'm like you should do what i do which is basically you know i let them pile up and then i read them you know really quickly all the way through uh you know because they're these really nice you know little 500 to 700 word you know uh you know uh packed full of information articles on uh horror films horror directors uh, uh i'll I, I know what you're doing this week but explain what what are you doing this week yeah, sure. Just so, put up uh, a really good one this today. Yeah, so um, uh, so this week, the last um, the last full week of October, um, I'm doing something very special. The last three days of the month, but on this last full week of October, um, in in each article I write, I am featuring um, I'm an actor or actress who has uh, contributed a lot of uh, great significant. Uh, um, acting performances to um, horror films or horror shows or whatever it might be. Um, it's kind of my way of highlighting um, the people uh, behind the stories uh, that we love so much uh, this time of year and trying to give them uh, uh, the credit that they deserve. Um, I did s- some weeks on writers, on on directors and things like that, but this week is all about the actors and actresses. And today uh, he did a really good one on Sigourney Weaver, uh, which, you know, of course, I mean, today, today was Sigourney Weaver, right? I'm not mixing up my days, yeah, right? That's true. Okay, that's true. Good. All right. All the days run together, Al. They all that's run true. together. They all run together. But yeah, 
definitely get on the website, check those out, check out our Patreon, vote for the next movie you want to hear about. And as always, guys, uh, we always like to close letting you know fandom is for everyone. Uh, there is a fandom for everyone, and uh, this is just our way of, uh, of talking about the fandoms we like about, uh, that we like, uh, but uh, we do want to encourage, once again, the idea that no matter uh, who you are, there is a fandom for you. And so, as always, we want to say good night, wherever you're at, uh, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you find yourself when you listen to this podcast. We just hope you're in a good place. Thank you for listening.